Many find the idea of investing in farmland extremely appealing. It produces the most essential product, the food we eat. It has an income stream that appreciates with inflation, and it builds underlying equity appreciation at an attractive rate. But how do you buy it? I mean, short of purchasing a farm and becoming a farmer yourself. We answer that and a lot more in today's video, so keep watching. Welcome. I'm Adam Taggart, founder of Wealthion, where we bring you the latest perspective and wisdom from the world's top experts in investing, economics, and personal finance. Today's interview was originally recorded back in March, but since then, there's been a massive commodities boom, and subsequently, the topic of investing in farmland has become red hot. So if that's of interest to you, you're going to find this discussion quite valuable. Before we play it, though, I just want to give folks a quick reminder. Wealthion's online conference on June 5th is coming up fast. It's going to be an entire day hearing from many of the world's best minds in money and finance, each predicting what they see the market doing from here and what they advise investors like you do today to position for it. The speaker lineup is amazing. Just to name a few, we'll have Grant Williams, Stephanie Pomboy, Lacey Hunt, Lynn Alden, Matt Tybee, Mike Maloney. Folks, it is really going to be fantastic. And don't worry if you can't watch the event when it airs live on June 5th. A replay video of the entire conference will be sent to everybody who registers afterwards. Oh, and speaking of registering, if you're interested in this, you should register for it now because the early bird price discount expires at the end of the month. So go to Wealthion.com conference where you can learn more about the lineup, the agenda, and learn how to register for this event. All right, with that out of the way, let's get straight to today's interview with farmland investor Craig Wishner. This week, we're joined by Craig Wishner. Craig is the managing director of Farmland LP, which is a fund that goes out and uh, purchases uh, farmland, usually conventional farmland, uh, across uh, the U.S. Uh, West Coast, uh, and uh, takes that farmland and, and over the years builds it up to uh, using sustainable farming practices, uh, for, converts it from conventional soil to organic soil, and manages the farmland um, with, uh, you know, according to the tenets of sustainability, as opposed to like the monocrop, um, you know, heavy uh, fertilizer inputs uh, of big ag. So anyways, Craig, super glad to have you here on the program today. Great to be here. Good to see you, Adam. Good to see you too. Um, all right, Craig. Well, so I wanted to give our viewers an update on just sort of the, the state of investing in farmland today. Um, I know you run a particular fund, uh, like I mentioned, and we can maybe talk a little bit about that fund later on in the discussion. But if we could just sort of zoom up to a high level here, um, you know, farmland is an asset class that a lot of peak prosperity readers and viewers um, that they have a high appreciation for. Um, you know, it, it really sort of fits in the bullseye of uh, the type of, of um, capital that they'd like to have their investment dollars going into. It's productive, um, it uh, is regenerative if done right. Um, and, uh, you know, no matter what happens, uh, you own the underlying land, right? That's, that's in, in a world where you're concerned about inflation and whatnot, um, that is a really important uh, quality for farmland to have. So um, for 
you know, folks that are interested in this, though, it's, it's not the easiest thing to invest in. It's not necessarily like buying a share at Tesla, right? So um, it, could you just do us a favor and kind of at a, at a macro level, tell us um, I, what's, what's going on in the industry? And then maybe we can talk about the different ways that people can participate in farmland, short of actually buying their own farm and having to run it and farm it themselves. Great. It, farmland is a fun and amazing asset class, and it's really not very well understood. Uh, and so I'll start by just providing some context uh, on the asset class. Um, and first, its size. So the U.S. has about 25% of the world's high quality farmland. Uh, and that farmland is, in the U.S. is worth $2.7 trillion. Uh, that's about the same economic value as all of the apartment buildings in the U.S. Uh, or all of the office buildings uh, in the U.S. Uh, and 40% of farmland is leased. So farmland is commercial real estate just like those other asset classes. Uh, some other interesting uh, points about it uh, is that uh, it's a very under leveraged uh, asset class. Of that $2.7 trillion, there's only 14% debt on the entire asset class. Um, so this means one, that it's not correlated uh, with uh, uh, the debt markets. Uh, and some people, particularly listeners, might uh, feel that's a positive. <laughs> uh, certainly is a positive uh, uh, for me, uh, not being correlated with it. But it also means that as those debt levels increase, uh, that will be uh, a further tailwind for increased appreciation uh, on uh, on the asset class. And if you think of single family homes, the price of debt and the availability of debt for single family homes drives up their price. Uh, farmland has just simply not been affected uh, by those tailwinds uh, up until now. Another thing that's interesting about farmland is that only 1% of farmland is institutionally owned. Uh, so really most farmland is bought and sold neighbor to neighbor. Uh, and uh, what that means is that there's a lot of opportunities uh, to uh, buy farmland and add value to it, to transform it to, to for example, growing higher value crops. Um, and uh, there's really just not a lot of competition uh, as we would normally think of compared to multifamily or office buildings. Uh, the, you know, we're one of the top 15 largest farmland managers in the US and the largest focused on organic and regenerative agriculture. So it's just a pretty small group uh, of, uh, of managers in this space. All right, um, so uh, lots of interesting points there. Um, interesting that, uh, you know, 40% at least, 40% is least, you know, you said it's like commercial real estate. Uh, commercial real estate is, I think folks are concerned about the prospects of, of normal commercial real estate right now, post coronavirus, right? Where businesses have been shut down without, you know, renters for a while now. And a lot of companies have realized that, uh, you know, they can now effectively and efficiently operate their companies virtually. And so there's a lot of office space that's, uh, you know, maybe in danger of going on lease going forward. Obviously not true at all in uh, the farmland space. Um, people need to eat and that's where the food is coming from. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about just sort of the demand right now for um, for farmland for and for the food that the farmland grows? You know, I know in particular, Farmland LP is focused on the organic food market. Um, I know you, you, you grow, not everything you grow is organic, but your, your general goal is to grow as much organic as you can. And I know that there is, I believe right now, sort of overwhelming demand as far as the eye can see for organic product, just given, you know, 
world demand and given that there's so few organic acres relative to the overall acreages of farmland. So, you know, at, at, at a high level, what are, um, you know, what are the big trends right now that are, that are driving the investing going on in farmland? That's great. Um, so there's a, a few different sectors uh, within farmland. And so you would think about kind of uh, annual crops or commodity crops. 53% uh, of U.S. farmland grows two commodity crops, corn and soy. So uh, a lot of people tend to just look at those market trends and just apply them to uh, all farmland in general. But that would be like lumping together uh, apartment buildings, office buildings, and warehouse uh spaces in class A markets and class three markets uh, altogether. You really have to kind of uh, dig a little bit deeper uh, in that. Uh, but, uh, uh, and then another market sector is uh, permanent crops. Uh, for example, uh, those are trees that you might plant or uh, vineyards or blueberries, uh, things that you plant once uh, and then they grow uh, over time and you harvest them for, for decades. Um, and then also there's specialty crops like lettuce, uh, and uh, tomatoes, uh, those uh, you might have seen app harvest uh, go public. Um, we should ask me about app harvest after this. Okay, <laughs> we'll talk about that. But um, so for regarding the overall market sector, uh, what? Uh, Commodity row crops, for example, have been flat for the past five years or so, uh, if you remember the, the tariffs uh, that were in place as well. But overall, the market has been pretty suppressed. Uh, now you're actually seeing uh, strength uh, in, uh, in that commodity market sector. Uh, on the permanent crop side, the demand in general is very strong, uh, both for currently cash flowing commodity crops as well, or permanent crops, uh, as well as for new crops that are going in. Uh, and there's you know, continued strong demand for the specialty crops. Uh, the organic market, uh, for example, uh, historically 50% of the US food budget uh, is spent at home and 50% uh, out. Uh, during the pandemic, that shifted to around 70%. Uh, of food being sold uh, at home. And the organic markets uh, really are, were already constrained by the, the amount of farmland available that was organic. Uh, and so just everything has gotten maxed out. It's e even more impacted. 6% Six, of the US food budget, about $40 billion a year is spent on organic food. Uh, and only 1% uh, of US farmland is certified organic. The organic food market is growing at double digit rates uh, and organic farmland is only being converted at single digit uh, rates, about half the rate uh, that the overall market is growing. So really a tremendous amount of pressure in general on our food system. That's looking at the short term trends. Uh, if you look out 10, 20, 50 years, um, you have continued population growth uh, uh, and uh, that continues to drive demand. Um, and you have uh, continued growth. All, whatever cities uh, and real estate expands, it's usually being built over farmland. <laughs> so you really do have this shrinking pool of farmland uh, while the uh, rest of the real economy uh, grows. Uh, and, uh, and then you have climate change. Uh, and climate change will really make uh, some areas, if not unfarmable, dramatically reduce the value of the crops that they can grow there, uh, while some other areas uh, will benefit, but really takes a lot of understanding in order to, to forecast those trends.
All right, so you're basically saying that um, that uh, farmland in general is uh, under pressure, right? Whether it's through um, development encroachment, whether it's through climate change, et cetera. Um, at the same time, you say that uh, uh, 6% of the current grocery budget is spent on organic food, um, yet only 1% of our acreage uh, is organic, is certified organic. Um, there's also population growth and, and there's also, I think sort of implied in, in your growth comments there, um, the sense that there are uh, other nations that are, um, I don't know what the right term is, but gentrifying. I mean, they're, 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 they're being able to begin to afford uh, more of an American middle-class lifestyle than they have in the past. And so that probably just means more competition for that limited supply. So it seems like in some ways, sort of, you know, an investor's uh, fantasy where you've got a, a product with limited growth opportunity, um, but overwhelming demand that's probably only going to continue growing. So um, is that translating into high prices for farmland, particularly organic farmland? Uh, and is there value still, be, still to be found in the space? Prices and value are, are two different things. And it is, it's really interesting to, to look at this. Um, so prices for farmland are going up. Um, and, uh, and even through the 2008 crash, uh, the economic crash, uh, you did see commercial real estate drop significantly uh, during that time. But farmland was flat. Farmland prices were unaffected uh, by that. So historically, and that's true going you know, uh, way back in time. It just simply, the farmland prices are not correlated with the stock market or the debt markets uh, or other markets like that. They're really, they're fundamentally driven by uh, people making more babies uh, and people wanting more meat and a higher quality diet. Uh, that's what puts uh, pressure on farmland. Um, and so what we are seeing in farmland uh, is increasing prices, but it's uh, driven by, um, uh, uh, increasing rents uh, on that farmland. So cap rates uh, are staying pretty flat uh, for farmland, uh, but it's actually the, it, it's basically inflation. Um, so fundamentally, the value of farmland uh, is based on the value of the crops that you grow on that land. So uh, as food prices increase, uh, for example, that translates to a natural uplift in the value of the crops grown on the land and the value of the rent uh, that's generated off of that land. And so that's why prices have gone up uh, over the past, uh, well, so over the past 85 years, farmland has delivered 11% annualized return year after year, half from cash flow, half from appreciation. So it is this wonderful, stable, steady uh, uh, asset class that delivers both appreciation and cash flow over time. Um, uh, and, and then you have these opportunities really to add value to that and increase, you know, switch from the low value commodity crops to uh, organic crops or other high value crops to further uh, bump that up. All right, great, R really well said. And it, it, um, it echoes a lot of what we've said when we've, we've had experts in real estate on um, who talk about, you know, one of the benefits of real estate in an investment class is that the income that you get from it is inflation adjusting. Right, so that as inflation increases, you can increase your rents, um, and you, as the property owner, are you know somewhat insulated against 
the vagaries of inflation because your rents are keeping up with it. Now, you know, in, in real estate, you, you have to, you know, you, you can benefit from that way if you can always rent your property. Um, but, you know, you could have oversupply in a certain area or a key employer leaves or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, you can have capacity issues where you're not able to fully, you know, fill your, your uh, properties. Um, but, you know, farmland is quite different, right? Uh, especially in organic pro product, as you're talking about here, there really isn't, uh, you know, uh, the, the potential for somebody to go and discover a whole bunch of unused, you know, cert certified organic farmland. It just doesn't exist, right? So that scarcity is really helping you there too. Um, all right, great. Well, so 11% uh, per year uh, annualized return. Um, it sounds like it said it didn't really get impacted that much during the, uh, the great financial crisis uh, back in 2008, 2009. So it's kind of almost like what's not to like about it here, right? And then, of course, uh, Craig, you talk about the opportunity to, to do a lot of what your fund does, which is buy land that's maybe not being put to its best use, right? It's being over farmed, burned out with the, you know, chemical based fertilizers and the monocropping and, 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 you know, kind of the evils of a lot of the, the big ag conventional processes. Um, and you can restore that land and um, restore the micronutrient content of the soil. You can farm a whole bunch of different types of, of uh, products, uh, both uh, uh, produce, but also livestock as well. Um, so you can have this really highly diversified, uh, you know, portfolio of products that are coming off of the land uh, that you're also able to charge higher uh, premia and, and make higher margin on because it's all, you know, organic uh, certified and whatnot. So um, for people that find this interesting, and I kind of feel like, why wouldn't you after everything that we just listed there, you know, what are the options that are available to them? Again, short of buying a farm and becoming a farmer themselves. Uh, which they could do if they have $10 million that they want to uh, so the average commodity farmer has about eight and a half million dollars worth of land and equipment uh, and makes $250,000 a year. So uh, that's, that's the option if you want. It doesn't to sound like a great deal. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a great deal if you're looking at it from, a, from an investment class. Um, but, um, you know, it does, there are good opportunities to invest in. And actually, I just want to get the app harvest uh, comparison because people think of that uh, as, uh, as growing food. And I did some quick analysis on that. Right. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Craig, but can you just explain what App Harvest is for the people that don't know? Exactly. It was just, yes. Uh, so App Harvest is a company that basically builds uh, giant vertical farms or you know, high-end greenhouses. Uh, they recently went public at about a billion dollar uh, valuation and it was a SPAC transaction. Uh, so kind all of right, ticked, off, ticked off all the hype things. And basically, uh, if you look at their numbers, uh, they've built a 60 acre greenhouse uh, to grow uh, beefsteak tomatoes, large uh, tomatoes. And they're going to just keep doing that uh, in, uh, in perpetuity. The problem is the same as any other of the vertical farms that I've looked at. Uh, they, uh, it costs around uh, one and a half to three and a half million dollars of capex per acre, uh, in order to uh, grow these crops uh, year after year. And so, if you look at their sixty-acre facility, um, uh, I could buy ten thousand acres of beautiful irrigated farmland for the price of a sixty-acre uh, greenhouse that will only grow tomatoes year after year after year, uh, and. One question is, how do you pollinate the tomatoes 
in a 60 acre greenhouse year after year, but that's a little more esoteric question. But really, would you, you know, so fast forward 10 years, um, would you rather have 10,000 acres of a wonderful irrigated farmland with great water rights as well, very key uh, part here. Farmland is appreciating, You're, you can grow a basket of, you know, we, we produce over 40 different crops on our 15,000 acres. So a lot of crop diversity, a lot of crop choice, uh, land is appreciating, or would you rather in 10 years uh, own a 10 year old depreciating uh, greenhouse? Uh, it, it, it's a pretty, it's a pretty simple option to me. Right, right. It does. When you put it that way, it seems like an easy choice. It's a pretty easy choice. So, what are the options for the normal person to uh, to invest in farmland? Again, so out of the two point seven trillion dollars worth of farmland, only about twenty six billion, about one percent uh, of farmland is institutionally owned. So there just aren't a lot of uh, uh, players uh, in this space. Uh, there's two publicly traded. Uh, funds. Uh, one is Gladstone Land, uh, and they all of the almost all of the uh, farmland funds just do basically sale leasebacks. So they'll buy a piece of farmland and lease it back to the operator and collect a rent uh, on that. And uh, you know, there's value from an economy of scale. Uh, standpoint that happens there, but there's no value in terms of uh, converting from uh, one cropping system to another. They're not really investing uh, in that asset and improving those assets. Uh, but um, so, you know, Gladstone Land is one company. Um, you can, if you're looking for people who are actually adding value to land, for example, uh, where you're converting land from commodity crops to, uh, to permanent crops, for example, uh, then uh, uh, Acre Trader or Farm Together uh, are a couple of uh, kind of crowdfunding options um, where Acre Trader and Farm Together act as brokers uh, on there. Uh, they find an operator on the back end who has some uh, value-added plan uh, there, uh, and then they raise capital basically uh, for that. And uh, they're essentially incentivized as brokers uh, on that. Um, and then there are people like us who, not a lot of people like us, but um, there are people uh, who uh, buy the farmland. Uh, and so what we do is we raise capital, buy farmland, and then take it through a value add conversion period. We get compensated on the back end after we've added the value. So we're very long-term uh, investors from that perspective. All right, great. And I, I want to talk a little bit about that value-add process in just a second. Um, so for folks that aren't familiar with uh, Acre Trader or Farm Together, um, I'm less familiar with Farm Together, but Acre Trader, uh, I, I have you know, monitored a bit. And um, you know, what's nice about those crowdfunding sites is uh, you don't need to be an accredited investor to participate in, in these, uh, these offerings. And essentially what they do is when they they have um, an investment opportunity where, you know, usually it's a, it's a, um, a parcel that's gonna be farmed by a particular farmer for a certain purpose. Um, they just kind of put it up there and they say, okay, look, we're gonna, you know, uh, we're gonna put a, a pecan orchard on these 50 acres. And the people that are running it, you know, have three other pecan orchard farms, they know how to do this. And here's the projected return. And, uh, you know, a share could be anything from, you know, 
three thousand dollars to twelve thousand dollars. I mean, it's not it's not a ton of money. Um, so, uh, and they, they have new deals coming in kind of almost every week or two weeks or whatever, from what I can tell. Um, I also can tell too that they go pretty quickly. Not saying that that's because they're exceptionally great values. I think we're just sort of in this period of time where there's just so much money sloshing around. And, and again, farmland is a harder asset to own. Um, but anyways, check those out, you know, watch a couple of the deals come through. You'll watch them get snapped up pretty quickly, but eventually you might find one that you like. And, and uh, again, you don't have to throw that much money into it if you want to just sort of dabble at first. You mentioned Gladstone land. Um, is that like a publicly traded uh, ETF or just a, a company itself, just a publicly traded stock? It's a publicly traded REIT, uh, REIT. So real okay. estate investment trust. Uh, and so uh, it, it's a publicly traded vehicle. So it correlates with the debt markets more uh, than it would otherwise. Uh, but uh, but that's uh, a way of uh, getting involved in the sale lease back. And they've actually done well uh, recently. Their stock is, has done well. Uh, Acre Trader. Uh, so the... the when you're investing in Acre Trader or Farm Together, any one of those deals, it's up to you to build your own diversified portfolio uh, on that land. So you'll be investing each time on one piece of land, only one crop, one manager uh, on that. Uh, and so you have to create your own diversification. Uh, you mentioned Pecans. Actually, a friend of mine just sent me something uh, just uh, uh, over the weekend. Uh, where they were looking at it. And you really have to do your own due diligence uh, on this stuff. Uh, this was a basically uh, putting permanent crops where they had not been in the past uh, and uh, where it's very speculative. I basically didn't like the piece of dirt. I was very concerned actually about the whole thing being washed away uh, and uh, people really need to talk to people who know what they're doing uh, on these asset classes before they put their money in. Um, there are, you know, as long as Acre Trader or someone else is doing a lot of good due diligence on it, and you have that essentially that adversarial process that's adversarial setting the price, adversarial determining that the operator is good, adversarial determining that the land is good, uh, and have all that due diligence come together. That's great. Uh, but um, I, I do think that there's some stuff that shouldn't be um, made available to people who aren't experts uh, and know what they're getting into. Yeah. And, and maybe that is, you know, one of the risks of these crowdfunding platforms is there are so many more options than were previously available. You know, vetting all of them becomes maybe a little bit more of a challenge. Um, and I know that that at least Acre Trader, but probably Farm Together too, they, they're relatively new, so they don't have a lot of exits yet. So um, we don't have a lot of data to see if these have actually performed the way that they, you know, the initial sort of projections estimated that they might. Um, all right, so let's switch over now to um, the kind of, um, you know, private uh, managed funds like yours where um, they, they have a, you know, kind of a, a, a mission, right, where um, each fund is probably quite different, but, but yours is, um, we want to go out and we want to find really good quality, like farmland with a really good quality bones, right? That has the sort of the type of soil we want, the type of topography, climate, et cetera, water rights. And I'd love it if you could talk about those for a moment and how important they are. Um, but, but maybe also too, you know, it, it's not being used to its maximal 
um, best use. And so you guys are going to come in, you're going to spend some time um, healing, restoring, improving the land itself, and then you're going to start managing it. Um, you know, in a way you talked earlier about, um, you know, the, the, the bigger sort of portfolios of properties, they have economies of scale. You can afford to invest in infrastructure that in the individual far farmers that you might be leasing the land to couldn't invest in themselves. And so you're really creating kind of the best of, of both worlds for everybody, for the, the fund itself, for the farmers farming the land, for the investors, and I guess ultimately for the people who are eating the food that comes off it. So um, just, yeah, kind of kind of rattle through kind of your mission and your approach. And maybe, maybe you know, maybe a good question is, is you know, how, how do you determine, what would you look for in, in uh, a parcel of land and how do you determine if it's a good one for you to buy? The, to summarize it, we look for uh, great sunshine, dirt, and water. <laughs> so no, that's so, pretty simple. <laughs> exactly. Uh, sunshine is a great growing climate. Uh, Dirt is high quality soils that have the capability of growing high value crops uh, on them. And water uh, is both the physical access to water as well as legal ownership uh, over that water, the water rights uh, uh, on that land. And uh, we do a lot of macro uh, assessment. So we, Water is a strategic uh, focus of ours in part based on our view on climate change. Uh, so we've been following uh, the science of climate change for 20 years um, and uh, we've identified areas that are going to be harmed by climate change uh, and that uh, areas that should do better. So we're very focused on areas that we think are going to do at least as well or better uh, in, uh, uh, in this era of climate change. And the value of water and water rights uh, is key uh, on that. Um, and the U.S., basically, water is a, a tremendously mispriced uh, asset uh, in the U.S. Um, so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you about the farmland uh, behind me, uh, which is part of our second fund, is to give you an example of a real concrete example of water and water rights and, and, and how we add value. Um, so this is a 6,000 acre uh, property in Walla Walla, Washington. Um, 5,500 acres uh, is farmable uh, and there's water rights uh, on 1,800 acres. Uh, on that. And we've got a lot of water uh, on those 1800 acres. Uh, and the rest of the ground is growing dry land wheat. Okay, low value crop, but it's beautiful, productive farmland. That's the property you see behind me. So on the 1800 acres, for example, if you grow corn on that land, you'll generate $1,000 an acre. Uh, and it takes three acre feet worth of water in order to grow uh, uh, one corn crop. One acre is the size of a football field. Uh, one acre foot of water is one foot deep over that football field. Uh, and corn requires three acre feet uh, worth of water, three foot deep uh, over that football field to generate $1,000 in revenue uh, for uh, that corn. Well, wine grapes uh, only require a foot and a half worth of water. Okay. Wine grapes also generate eight to $10,000 an acre uh, in revenue at 40 to 50% margins. So what we're doing is basically uh, doing water spreading uh, to increase the total number of irrigated acres uh, and convert from commodity corn uh, to wine grapes and other crops. So I can turn that one acre worth of corn 
$1,000 an acre worth of corn into $16,000 to $20,000 uh, worth of wine grapes, massively increasing the cash flow that's generated from the same amount of water. And at the same time, the land values are uh, uh, in positively impacted as well. So uh, when we talk about farmland, the value of that land is based on the value of the crops that you grow on that land. So dry land wheat ground behind me, $900 an acre. If I move the corn production as is um, onto this land, uh, that land would be worth 12,000 an acre. Same dirt, just added water, changed the crop. Uh, if I, if uh, this land though happens to be really wonderfully suitable to wine grapes, Okay, permanent crops like wine grapes, that ground goes for twenty dollars to $25,000 an acre. So same water, same dirt, different crop. <laughs> so, uh, so this is basically an example of what we see when we're looking at farmland as wonderful soils and great growing climates with wonderful water rights. Uh, and we're just transforming them from low value commodity crops uh, to high value. Uh, to high value crops and increasing, increasing cash flow, uh, as well as creating value, creating appreciation by converting from $900 an acre dry land wheat to 20 to $25,000 an acre vineyard land. All right. Um, so I, that's a great description sort of of the, the arbitrage, I guess, that's, that's available in this space. Um, if you can figure out what the land can be better used for, um, uh, both in terms of what it will grow, but what that, that product will yield in terms of price and margin, um, it can be transformational, like you just walked us through, right, from 900 an acre to 12,000, whatever, to 28,000. Um, now, obviously, uh, one of the reasons why um, people plant crops like corn and whatnot, besides the fact that just, you know, people need to eat them and whatnot, but is that uh, you can grow it, you can grow it in a season. Right. Um, you, you know that you can get paid at the end of the, the summer, um, whereas putting in permanent crops, wine grapes, nut trees, blueberry bushes, et cetera. Um, there is a period of time where you know, they, they have to grow for a couple of years before they get mature enough to start producing at commercial scale. So the investor has to sort of be willing to accept a couple of years of, of no to low return to then get those higher returns. Correct. That, that, that's absolutely right. And that's what essentially creates this uh, surprising barrier to me uh, from converting from commodity crops to, to higher value crops, uh, or even just taking land through a three-year organic conversion period. Uh, it's really challenging for a commodity corn farmer, for example, uh, who's making uh, debt payments on their new combine uh, to uh, shrink the acres that they're gonna grow in corn go to a more diverse commodity, more diverse basket of crops and spend three years getting that land certified organic. Um, uh, our investors have to be ready to not uh, generate cash flow for two to three years uh, during that conversion period. We're planting crops, we're generating revenues, et cetera, but there aren't investor distributions uh, available during that timeframe. But as long as your timeframe is five years or longer, uh, you get a wonderful IRR uh, on that. And as an investor, we, you know, we all see, hey, you know what? Uh, my, if my investment horizon is five years or ten years or thirty years, um, going a few years without cash flow is is a wonderful trade-off. Um, 
but uh, for those who are very focused on uh, the, the day after day, uh, it, it is more challenging and it really, it helps create these great opportunities, whether you're converting from to organic uh, or to permanent crops. Great. And I do want to talk about that more for a second here because we've, we've kind of been zeroing in on the profitability of the approach. Um, but they're also, as you said, you're, you're talking about improving the land and it's not just improving it, um, you know, just, just to make an additional buck off of it. But you, you, there is somewhat of a mission behind the fund too, right, of, of doing well by doing right, which is, you know, you're, you're taking this land, which, you know, may, maybe not, you know, maybe sort of be getting abused by kind of the strip mining, um, you know, approach of conventional uh, farming. And instead, you know, to, to get it up to organic status, uh, and maybe you could just really briefly, just 30 seconds or so, tell people what, what, what's required for a land to be upgraded from conventional to organic. Um, but you're also putting in, you know, permacultural installations like hedgerows and things like that, that support pollinators and uh, the predators that eat the pests and, um, you know, you're, you're, you're really kind of, you know, you're leaving the earth better than it was when you bought it, correct? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, our mission is, is actually to demonstrate that sustainable and regenerative agriculture is more profitable than chemical dependent agriculture. Our, my degrees in biochemistry and molecular biology, uh, when we look at farmland, yes, we see this wonderful real asset uh, of farmland, um, but we look at it as a biological system. And we know that actually, if we take care of the soil's health, uh, that it will be more productive. Uh, it'll be more resilient to climate change. Uh, it'll require fewer inputs uh, on that ground in order to grow more crops and we can get price premiums very easily uh, by getting the land certified organic when we follow regenerative agriculture best practices. And so uh, fundamentally our, our business model is based on identifying that, you know, all those commodity corn farmers are really locked into a system where uh, they're focusing on farmland to generate maximum uh, operating efficiencies by growing one crop year after year. Uh, and, but we know that the best way to generate productivity from farmland is actually to have a diverse crop rotations, uh, both in a single year, a mosaic of crops growing on that land, uh, and diversity across a 10 year crop rotation uh, as well. That's when the soil's healthiest, uh, and that's when the plants uh, are happiest as well. So you get the increased yields. The challenge to that uh, is that it's very difficult for one farmer to grow all those different crops and change it up year after year uh, on there. And so that's where the economies of scale of what we do uh, come from. Uh, so we map out uh, the ideal crop rotations uh, on that land. We get the land certified organic, and then we find the best farmers for any one particular crop uh, in that rotation. Uh, so we might have pasture for three to seven years and bring in great sheep and cattle tenants uh, on that land. The, for the vegetable rotations, we'll find the best tomato farmer and the best sweet corn farmer uh, and the best grain farmers as well. And we'll manage that farmland as essentially multi-tenant commercial real estate. Uh, working with the farmers, providing them with high quality farmland with great irrigation infrastructure that's already certified organic so they can really scale up their organic production without having to buy a whole bunch of land 
take it through a three-year conversion process and farm a multitude of crops. Uh, that's our responsibility and that that's what makes a great partnership uh, in this. And this lesson, this is a just a business lesson that's true. Uh, in the 70s, the US created the REIT uh, laws, uh, which uh, allowed investors to invest in real assets. Uh, and that allowed companies to not have to build their own office buildings anymore. We have the Sears Tower because Sears had to build their own tower. <laughs> uh, you know, nowadays you would never think of building your own office building if you wanted to grow a tech company, right? But that's the old model that we're forcing on the farmers. So we're actually just bringing uh, uh, a business structure from the 70s <laughs> uh, into 2021 uh, and saying, you know what, we'll manage this high quality asset uh, and we'll work with the best farmers uh, so they can get the highest returns possible from, uh, from these assets while making sure the farmland is managed organically, regeneratively, uh, and, uh, and most productively and generating the most soil health. Well, that's just so inspiring and great. Um, you know, the, the real reason why we founded Peak Prosperity was to, you know, make people aware of the unsustainability of sort of the status quo of society. And certainly food production and agriculture has a ton of unsustainability with it. Um, but, um, you know, it's to let, to highlight new models that show that there's a better way to do this, right? And um, you know, we, we've uh, brought the folks from like Sigma Frog Farms on uh, to show what they do there, which is absolutely amazing, but it's a very small farm, right? It's, it's you know, eight acre farm. I think they only farm five of the acres. Um, and so uh, a, a common sort of, uh, I don't want to call it a criticism, but, but people will say, hey, uh, how scalable is that really, right? Well, you guys are showing that it can be done on thousands and thousands of acres. Like how many acres do you have in the overall farmland uh, portfolio between fund one and fund two? Uh, 15,000 acres, uh, about $175 million worth of farmland. Okay, okay. Um, but I mean, that's that's a lot of land. Um, and you guys are showing that that these practices can be done at that type of scale. And so if it can be done at that type of scale, you know, it can be adopted well throughout the industry. And, and hopefully, eventually, more and more of the industry is going to take note, um, you know, wh whether it's because they're seeing uh, the, you know, the savings, the economies of scale that you're getting from this, or that their customers are demanding they go this way, right? And that's part about the demand for organic food and whatnot. Um, all right, so uh, we got to wrap things up here. Uh, Craig, I, I, I could go for easily another two hours here with you, and I'm sure people would love for us to continue to. So we'll have to bring you back on. Um, I know one topic we didn't get to is sort of the role that technology is playing right now. And uh, I know that, uh, you know, you, you've educated me several times about how there's sort of a technology revolution going on, kind of a high tech, tech, high tech revolution going on right now um, that are doing things that people thought could never be done by machine, like picking berries and things like that, uh, but also just intelligent water delivery and, and all sorts of things. So we'll have to save that for, for next time. Um, as we part here, um, why don't you, if you could, just give two seconds about... Um, you know, what's the status of Farmland LP's funds? And uh, for people who want to learn more about you and the funds, where should they go? 
Great. Uh, so the investors can go to uh, www.farmlandlp.com uh, to learn more. Uh, we uh, are actually getting ready to close our second fund. We already own over $90 million worth of farmland uh, in that fund. We're raising additional capital to uh, do things that are accretive to it, such as instead of leasing out uh, vineyards and organic blueberry land, uh, plant some of that land ourselves uh, uh, as well. Uh, we very successfully grow uh, currently uh, uh, wine grapes uh, and organic blueberries with Triscolls, uh, and uh, it'll be uh, accretive to the fund to plant those uh, ourselves. So uh, I definitely I encourage people to reach out to uh, at farmlandlp.com uh, and, uh, and learn more about us. All right. Well, thanks so much, Craig. Excellent discussion and look forward to having you on you again soon. Great talking to you, Adam. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Farmland LP's Craig Wishner. If you found this interview valuable and you'd like to see more like it in the future, please take a second and click the subscribe button below, as well as the little bell icon right next to it if you haven't already. And if you're trying to make sense of how to invest in the coming future and would appreciate a free, no strings attached portfolio review by Wealthion's endorsed financial advisor, we'll tell you how to do that in just a few seconds, so stick around. Thanks for watching. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we've put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.